Okay, lately, about a couple weeks ago, Nelly found in our toy stash a Kermit the Frog our kids had, and she did not know Kermit, so she's kind of fallen in love with Kermit. So uh, I think because I've been spending so much time being Kermit with her, with that, I'm starting to sound like a frog. So uh, forgive me this morning if I, if I sound that way. Um, we are continuing our series that, um, that your work matters. And we're actually in week four of this, which I can't believe. And we're doing this because we really want you to know that your work matters to God and that God matters to your work. We want everybody here to be convinced of that. And to know, I said last week, that the work of the church I mean, hear me on this. The work of the church is the church at work. That's the work of the church, that you can have your greatest kingdom impact outside of these four walls in the places where you're regularly encountering and engaging people. And so we really want, I talked about last week, we want to close that Sunday to Monday gap that we have where we think only Sunday is ministry or worship or whatever, and we see it just continues to flow, and all of our work is worship, and all of it is ministry. When I talked to Casey this week about him being up here. Uh, he told me that he, I don't think, I, I don't think I've seen Nevik this morning, but Nevik Stock, who is a plumber by trade, uh, was at his house trying to help him with a pipe in his crawl space that Casey was having a, a problem with. And he says, we were down there worshiping the Lord. And what he meant by that is what I talked about last week, that they were down there doing work, but that their work was worship. So uh, Casey, I appreciate you you saying that. Now, so the first three weeks, I really tried to lay a theological foundation for work, a biblical view of why it matters, and now I want to spend the next three sermons trying to get a lot more practical. Not that that stuff isn't practical, but I want to get more practical, and I want to um, specifically, because I really want, the subtitle of the series is Connecting Your Work to God's Work. We really want us to make a connection between faith and work, and so I want to give you three biblical metaphors in the next three sermons of things you can carry with you that if you will hang on to those things, they will give you practical ways as you go to work to think about your work and how you can carry it out in ways that really connect God with it. Before I jump in this morning, I do need to say that um, I need to give credit to Tim Keller because I heard him talk about something about 15 years ago that planted the seed of this in my mind and was something that um, I ended up thinking a lot about and grew in there. Um, I did preach this about 12 years ago. It's a little bit different, and probably if you were here 12 years ago, you don't remember it. But it was significant to me, and I think it's, it's the first way I want to start off when I was thinking practically about our work. So we're going to be in Genesis today. If you, yeah, I've been having you guys have this sheet. This is our last week in Genesis. If there's anybody that doesn't want to have this and you want to follow along in the Scripture, um, you can do it in your Bible, fine. Is there, if there's somebody that would like to have this, we've got a few in the back that I'm sure somebody could help pass out. Is there anybody, if you want one, haven't gotten one in the last three weeks? Nope, I think we're good. Okay, but you can easily follow along in your Bible. Um, but three weeks ago, we learned that we serve, a, we serve and we worship a God who works. And in his work, we actually see him do three important things. These three things are really crucial. Okay, three things. The number one, that God brought order out of chaos. That's the first thing that he did. He did, this, he did this initially by speaking a lot of what he created into existence just out of nothing. But in the latter days of creation, he actually took things he had already created and he rearranged them and reformed them to make new things. So he took things that he had created and the materials of his creation and he created new things out of that. And then he did all of this for the purpose of human flourishing. And not just the flourishing of humans, but for the flourishing of creation. 
So these three things are really significant. You're going to see these three threads in everything I talk about today. That God brought order out of chaos, that he took things he had already created, and he reordered and recreated new things, and he did this for the sake of human flourishing. So let me show you these three things in Genesis 1 and 2, walk you through the text, and then I really want to get practical and apply it to us. So we're going to start in Genesis 1, 1 to 2, where God creates at the beginning. And here's what it says in Genesis 1.1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Um, That word bara means to create out of nothing. But look at the initial condition of his creation in verse 2. Look how it describes when he first creates. It says, now the earth was formless and empty. It's that Hebrew tohu vabohu. The darkness was over the surface of the deep. So according to Genesis 1.2, when he first created, it was formless and empty, the creation. Um that it was barren and it was uninhabited. In the words of the New American Standard Bible, the earth was a formless and desolate emptiness, that there was a world, but it was in a chaotic state when he first created it. And it was, at the beginning, it was unformed and it was unfilled. It was unformed and unfilled. And so God rolled up his sleeves at the beginning of creation, and he went to work doing that first thing we talked about. He went to work bringing order out of chaos. That's what he started doing first. He spent the first three days forming his creation, ordering it, structuring it, um, separating, dividing to give it structure. In 1.3, we learned that he separated the light from darkness. In 1.6, he separated water from water. In 1.9, he separated dry land from water. So he began by forming the earth. And then, in the last three days, he filled the earth that he had formed. So in 111, he put vegetation in the land. In 114, he put stars, moon, and sun, moon, and stars into the heavens, into the sky that he had created. In 120, he put fish in the sea and birds in the sky. In 124, he put animals, he put animals into the land. And in 126, he put humanity onto the land that he had created. So for six days, we see God hard at work for six days, bringing order out of chaos, bringing order out of chaos forming the earth and filling it up with life. And a lot, what I want you to realize is not only was he doing that, but a lot of his creating was actually, specifically, it was taking the raw materials he had already made and he was reordering them into something brand new. So look at chapter 2, verse 19. He did this with the animals. In 2.19, it says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. So he took existing materials to create the animals and the birds. And he did this with mankind in chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. That word formed, yatsar, if you remember, means to, to craft like a, like a potter. And then in 2.22 with the woman, it says, The Lord God made bana, which means to construct or build. It's a construction word. He built a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So a lot of his creating was taking existing material and rearranging it and forming it into new things. And all of this was the purpose of the thriving and flourishing of everything he made. That was the purpose of his creating. So look at Genesis 1.28. We see this in his view of humans. In 1.28 it says, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. And then verse 29, skip a few words down. Then God said, I give you, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They'll be yours for food. So he's giving them things so they can flourish. 
But it's not just mankind, it's the animals. Look at 130, the verse right after that. And to the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has, has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. So he's, he's, everything he's doing is for the flourishing of everything that he has made. And I want you to notice also that when he creates for the purpose of flourishing, he creates two things which I think are really cool. Number one, he creates products that are useful, but he also creates beauty, things that are beautiful. And I think that's really significant. Um, Look at chapter 2, verse 8. You'll see it here. Chapter 2, verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made grow out of the ground all kinds of trees, trees that were two things. They were pleasing to the eye, and they were good for food. So he was creating products, produce, food that they could thrive and survive on. But he was also creating beauty, things that looked beautiful. Isn't that really cool? He just doesn't make ugly things to help us get by, but he creates beauty. We see the idea of creating beauty in verse 12. Look at verse 12. It says, the gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. So God makes things that taste good, things that look good, and things that smell good. So I I really love that about God. And Steve Jobs was right when he said, you don't just want products that work. You want products, things that are actually beautiful, that humans need both of those things. And that's what we find God doing. So God, in his creating, is doing three things, right? He's bringing order from chaos by taking the raw materials of things he's already created, creating new things, and all of this is the purpose for our flourishing and the flourishing of his creation. And he could have just stopped there, but he doesn't. Um, He then commands the man and woman to continue the work that he started, this work of these three things. We'll look at it in just a minute. The same type of work he did. We've already looked at this. It's in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Over the last several weeks, we've looked into this in Genesis 2, 15, but I want to look again. So look at Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. So he creates them and he gives these two commands, rule and subdue. Rule and subdue, I've talked about them. I'm not gonna get into a lot of detail, but the subdue one to me is what's most cool. The first, he creates them to govern in his stead as vice regents over this creation. He's like, I want you to partner with me. And that idea of ruling over, or the old English translation, some of them talk about having dominion over, um, is often misunderstood outside of the Christian faith as meaning that we are given, that the man and woman were given the ability to destroy it and to abuse creation. And I want you to know, that is not at all what's going on here. Scripture is clear, um, in Genesis 2 especially, that we're created as stewards of what God has made. And we're to responsibly rule over it under him in the way that he wants it ruled over. And we're not to destroy his creation, but we are to develop it and to work with it. You talk to anybody who lives off the land they will tell you that that's exactly what they do. They deeply care for the land that they work, and they're not out there to destroy it and use it. They care for it, and they steward it, and that's exactly what he's asking in the rule. And then he told them to subdue it. If you remember, it's the Hebrew word kabash, 
Um, it means to tame something that's wild or to bring order out of chaos. And this is so important, this word, because it tells us that the creation was still undeveloped, not fully developed, and God still had work that needed to be done in the world. And so he wanted them to kibosh it, that it was still undeveloped, that he, it needed more forming and it needed more filling, and that he was passing that baton on to the humans. Um, we learned that outside of the garden, it was still, excuse me, it was still untamed, and it was like unconquered wilderness. And so he gave them the task of taking Eden, continuing to form and fill creation, to spread to the ends of the earth, to fill the earth, and to extend Eden to all of creation. That's what he was calling them to do, to continue to take his creation and move it from chaos to greater and greater degrees of order, the thing that he had started. And that's our task, is to move the creation he made to greater degrees of order. Um, it's like I've heard the story of a farmer who had a relative from New York City um, who came for the first time to Kansas to visit him. had never seen a farm. He had been in the city his whole life. And when he showed up, and it was quite a ways in the countryside, and then when he got there and pulled up and the farmer drove him around and showed him everything, he said, it is amazing what God has done here. It's amazing what God has done here. And the farmer scoffed a little bit and he said, you should have seen what it looked like when God had it all by himself before I got a hold of it, right? Because creation, he does create things, but it's, it's needing our work and development to fill it out. Um, and what we realize from this subdue is that when God created, the creation had great potential in it, untapped potential. And he wanted us to work and to draw that potential out with our labor. Um, to discover things and to draw them out and to develop them. And that requires our labor. That requires our work to do that. That the earth was full of raw materials to, to be developed, to be ordered, um, to be fashioned into new things. So God wanted us to discover and to create and to prove and to do new things. That's why he put gold in the ground and onyx in the ground, okay? That stuff just wasn't laying on the top for them to pick up, already formed as jewelry, Okay? He wanted them to discover the gold, to dig it out, to smelt it, to form it into a beautiful shape. And he wanted them to find the onyx and whatever. I don't know what you do with onyx. Like diamonds, you got to chip them off or something. But to take the onyx and to put it in the gold setting so that you could create jewelry. All of that potential was in his creation. And he wanted the humans to take that and to, to fill that out and to, to unearth it. Um, so he, he wants us to create value out of what he made to take it, to improve on it, to make it better, to dream, to create, to organize, to develop. That's why, I know it's kind of a, a big thing, but I mean, theologians call Genesis 1, 26 to 28 the cultural mandate, that God commanded the man and woman, woman to form culture, that he wants us to form culture. Um, here's how I, the, the, this Cultural mandate is the command to participate with God in his ongoing creational work in this world by caring for and developing his creation and bringing greater levels of order to it. And we can see the humans doing this cultural mandate. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 20 and 22, we see humanity for the first time developing metallurgy, animal husbandry, and there's one more thing. What's the other thing? Let me take a look at my notes. Um, music. And in chapter 9, verse 20, we see Noah becoming the first human to plant and cultivate a vineyard. So we see in Genesis that humanity is doing that. Um, this cultural mandate is what J.R.R. Tolkien, I had to get Tolkien in here, right? Author of The Lord of the Rings, he calls it the work of subcreation. I love that idea. The work created as subcreators to take his creation and to bring out and create new things. 
for us to participate with him in his ongoing work in the creation. And that's why the Bible, it begins in a garden in Genesis 1 and 2, and it ends in Revelation 21 and 22 in a garden city. It ends in a city. Um, I like this book about the garden city, from the garden to the city. And he like did this cool thing with plants and USBs and all of that. But that's why the scripture begins in a garden. And it ends in a garden city because he wants humanity to develop what he gave them. So, now I wanna, I wanna move to what to me is the, the practical thing out of all this. And here's what God did. Specifically, the way he wanted that first man and woman to develop his creation was through gardening. Was through gardening. In chapter two, so God's done all this creating in chapter one. It's the overview. In chapter two, the first thing God does is he plants a garden. Look at chapter two, verse eight. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And then he put humanity in that garden to work it and develop it. And he says, now you be the gardener. I created the garden. I was the first gardener. Now you be the gardeners after me. And look at Genesis 2.15. We've focused on this, this text quite a lot. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it, to avad it, and to shavar it, shamar it, to take care of it, to work and cultivate, to tend and take care of. That's his work. And I find it first so fascinating that the first work that God gave humanity, the first work was the work of gardening. And I think there's actually a reason for that. And what we're going to see is in this gardening, in this picture, in the metaphor of gardening, we will realize that that is actually the way we should look at all of our work. Because in gardening, here's what you're doing. In gardening, you're taking the stuff of creation, you're working with it to bring greater levels of order out of chaos in order to produce things we need to thrive and to grow. This is true of farming. Farming is just gardening on a larger scale, right? And I want you to see those three things are the exact same three things that God did when he created. Pat and I have gardened. There, there they are, lined up next to each other. Um, when we got our house, um, we wanted to have a garden, and the, the yard was well taken care of and all that, but there was one part of the backyard that was just total chaos. It was just full of weeds in this section. I have no idea why they left it that way. And when we saw that, we're like, we want to do something with that. It was wild and untamed, and we just thought, let's put a garden in there. So we did. We started to work. We did a lot of thinking, and we did a lot of um, organizing and ordering in our mind of what this would look like. You can still see, the first year we did one row, that you can still see the, the weeds back in part of it. That whole thing was just full of all of that. Um, and so what we did is we brought order from chaos. We dug up the weeds. And then after we dug up the weeds, we took the raw material of creation. I brought limestone from my parents' garden in Hayes, Kansas, from western Kansas. I brought that limestone, and we used that limestone to form that row. We used some more of the limestone the next year for the second row. And we just rearranged the materials of creation to, to create something new. We used soil and fertilizer and peat, and we worked to create to create that garden. And our ultimate purpose was to provide food for my family, our family, and for other people that we loved and cared about, things they needed to love, to live, and to thrive, and to grow. That was our whole purpose for doing that. Um, and things not just to eat, but to enjoy, right? So we planted, okay, my parents are from Texas, black-eyed peas and okra. And I've said it before, the variety of okra that when you stew it the right way, it just slides down your throat. It's great. Most people hate it, but but I love it. And not only that, we grew tomatoes and peppers and made homemade salsa. So not just food, but things to enjoy. 
Um, and not only that, we didn't just create products. As Pat and I talked, we ended up on the, the back end of that and on the side by the fence, we planted a flower garden. I would never in my life have thought I would plant a flower garden until I owned a house. And suddenly, now that I owned a house, I'm like, I want some beauty with this thing. And so we created not just products, but we actually created beauty back in that area. Um, and here's what I want you to see. Why I think, why is it God planted a garden? And he had the first people garden. Because I think gardening is the archetypal job. That it gives us a framework to understand all of our work. That all of us are gardeners. In a very real sense, in all of our work, we're doing the work of gardening. And I'm going to show you in a minute. Um, so if you want to know how to approach your work, caring for your work and developing it the way God wants, if you'll go show up tomorrow and think of yourself as a gardener, um, you will find it very helpful as a way to think about your work. Because all work has the same three components that gardening does, the exact same three components. We bring order from chaos in our work. We take the stuff of creation, the raw materials that God's already made, we rearrange those things to create something, many times something new. And our whole purpose in doing that is for the sake of the flourishing of other people of humanity, but also of his creation. Through our rearranging of the raw materials of the creation, we enhance the well-being of humanity so that individual people and the human community as a whole can thrive physically, relationally, socially, psychologically, and spiritually. And again, not just the human community, but the whole of creation, all of creation to thrive. So what I want you to see is all of our work, it's truly the same as the work that Adam and Eve had, and it's the same work that God had when he created everything. That at the most fundamental level, all of us in our work, we are bringing order out of chaos, using stuff as God's already created to create new things for the flourishing of the people around us. That's what work is. That's what God did. That's what Adam and Eve did. That's what we did in our garden, and that's what we're called to. So these three things, these are the three things I really want you to remember. These three things of bringing order from chaos by reworking the raw materials of creation for the purpose of human flourishing. This all is the essence of work. All of us do this. I'm gonna illustrate it in a minute. So all work is the reordering of some kind of material to produce things, beauty, products, services, that people need to prosper and thrive. So let me give you some examples of this. Make it really practical, okay? Um, when I was a kid, one of my heroes was what we used to call the garbage man. I don't think you can call him that anymore. I'm not sure. Now it's a sanitation worker. We call him the garbage man. He was one of our heroes. We lived, um, we, had, we were kind of in the northeast edge of Hayes. There was an alley that racked back behind our house and the house on the other side of the alley. And every Tuesday, the garbage truck would come down through that alley and would pick up the trash. Every Tuesday afternoon. And when they drove the truck, our house was at the end of the alley, and when they got to the end of the alley, they'd take our trash cans, they would dump our, dump our trash, in, trash in, and then before they left, the dude over on this side pushed the button, and when he pushed the button, it, this thing came up, it crushed the trash, compacted it, and then it dumped it upside down into the top of the thing. And I want to tell you, there was nothing cooler in the world to me and my friends than watching that. So every Tuesday in the summer, we played at my house in my backyard, and we couldn't wait till we heard the garbage truck coming down the alley, and we would go, we would watch it for houses as they're dumping trash in, and we couldn't wait till they got to our house so we could see all that happen. They were our heroes. Um, how many of you remember, have watched Hill, Bill, Beverly Hillbillies? You grew up on it, or you've seen it in reruns? Okay, you remember Jethro? One time, somebody asked Jethro, what do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, he was already growing up, but if you know Jethro... 
And he said, I want to be either a brain surgeon, a nuclear scientist, or a trolley car driver because they have these neat little coin things on the side and they do coins for people. And I thought that was so funny. And when I was a kid, I wanted to be either a brain surgeon or a nuclear scientist or a garbage man, especially the guy that got to ride on the back and push the button to compact everything. That was my dream when I was a kid. Um, I'm just curious, how many of you had these that I had when I was a kid, a Tonka garbage truck that you could put stuff in and flip it up? Anybody here? There was a lady for service who had that Tonka truck. I was like, wow, that's cool. Um, Or this matchbox. I had this matchbox that did the same thing because that was my dream. (laughs) Here's the point of all, you're like, what's the point of all that? Do you realize how important a sanitation worker is to the thriving of humanity? Do you understand how important that is? I was watching a a special on PBS and it talked about the first sanitation department ever created in human history was created in New York City in the 1920s. I was shocked that it took so long for humanity to figure that out. And before they created that department, people especially in the high rises in the middle of town, when you you got your trash, your trash can got full in your apartment, you would just dump it out the window and it would all fall down there and it would stay. Human waste would go down there. There were horses back then, there were mud streets, but horses going, there was horse manure. And it it was filthy, and it stunk, and it it just spread disease, and it was not a good place to live in the city. I read about a guy from Ireland who was from the countryside in Ireland who visited New York in about the early 19, late 1800s because he had had relatives come over, and he talked about how much the city stunk and how bad it smelled because they had no sanitation workers. And finally, a guy came up with an idea and approached the mayor about creating a group of people who worked for the city and did that. And so they started um, collecting the garbage and taking it out of the city, and it, ch- it, it radically changed the health of the city, so much so that other cities began to do what they were doing. So I just want you to know, all work is important, right? All work is taking some situation of chaos, I'm bringing, order to, I'm bringing order to it through the raw materials I have, like trash cans or the cool trash truck or whatever, and, and the, the dump, and I'm doing all of this for the sake of human flourishing. Let me give you a few more examples. A musician like Melissa and Sarah and Kylie who wrote this really cool song. They take the raw materials of sound and of harmony and of tone, and they arrange that sound into, an, into a new arrangement, right, to create beautiful music, and then they take an instrument, and they actually play that music, and they use this, the raw material of their voice to sing the song that they create. We all need beauty to thrive. That's what a musician is doing. They're doing this, these exact same three things. My wife's a teacher. She's doing the same things. She's bringing order to chaos. Any teachers in here today? Anybody who would say, my school, yeah, we were talking kind of beforehand, right? You go in there every morning and it's kind of chaos. That's how my conversation with Pat is every supper. Hey, how'd it go today? How was the chaos today? Did you do a good, you know, how was bringing order and all that? But they're taking the raw materials of ideas and paper and pencil and glue and visuals and they're taking all of that stuff to take a, a mind that is really hungry and curious and they're, they're bringing all that together to create things to bring order to that child and their thinking and help them grow for the sake of their long-term flourishing. That's what a teacher does. They're gardening but they're guarding the soul of a child, right? Medical professionals, they're taking a disordered body. I mean, I just finished my physical therapy and I had a disordered body from the summer. They take a disordered body and they take their knowledge and their skill. They take tools, things like these giant balloon ball things you sit on and do all sorts of things and they take bands and they take all of this stuff 
So they take the chaos of my, my back and they took these different things and out of that created a new order to my back, brought health back to it for the sake of my flourishing and it's made a huge difference. No wonder my kids are like, Dad, make sure you do the physical therapy. Don't just stop when your back's better, right? Um, I mean, we could talk about stay-at-home moms, how they do this. Um, graphic designers, Lisa Hubner's a graphic designer. She designs a lot of stuff for the church. They take shape and color images, a palette, they take typefaces, and they arrange it to something creative and beautiful to help get a message across, right? All for human flourishing. Here's how good Lisa is. Uh, Nellie, occasionally, Ariel bring over to the office, and she, um, she got to where sometimes the copier, somebody sent a thing for the copier to print, and she would just hear it turn on, and she got fascinated, so every time she'd come over, she'd want to see the copier. So I'd ask Melissa, would you just print something so that would turn on, and it would shoot something out? And she printed a postcard that was going to get sent to the church, and it had the church logo on it. And as soon as it popped out, Carissa looked at it, saw the logo that Lucy Ucy had first designed, and Lisa's tweaked somewhat, and she said, church, she knew. Isn't that cool? So Lisa, with her graphic designer skills, had created something significant. Um, your hairstylist or your barber does this. Is that not right? I'm going tomorrow to the barber. You show up with chaos. Trust me, when I get out of the shower and you try and, and these things are flipping out, when my hair gets it's curly by nature and, <laughs> and I waited too long, and you show up and you take your chaos, and he takes the raw materials of what he's got up here and his shampoos and all that stuff, and he brings order to that thing, right, for the sake of my own flourishing. At least my wife, she looks at me and says, you look a lot better with that haircut, Garen. Um, sadly for my barber, there's not a lot of raw materials to work with. Um, it's just the reality. He has to struggle with that. Um, let me illustrate one more way, if you don't mind, with the idea of highways. How important all work is, and it's all part of gardening, essentially. You know, for centuries in antiquity, there were no good roads. There were no highways between things. To get on a highway and go anywhere, nobody did it hardly. It was treacherous. Frequently, it was deadly at its worst. And it was a huge problem in antiquity until the Romans were the first people to create, not just create good roads, but they used their military to police the roads. And once they did that, like, things just blossomed in the Mediterranean. Merchant trade, all sorts of things. It set up the ability to have the gospel spread quickly because of the roads they created. So come forward today and think about roads and think about this idea of gardening in our work. Because the highway planner creates that highway in his mind, right? And he lays it out. And then the surveyor comes along and he sites it out and he stakes it out. And then companies and workers come and they build the highway. And then inspectors inspect it and workers maintain it. Sometimes too much. I feel like if I'm going to Kansas City, I'm spending about half my time in areas that are getting reworked. And then signposters, I don't know if that's what you call them. It's kind of what Jesse Cooper does. Signposters post signs that help us with it. Tool, birth, tool, both, tool booth operators function and hopefully are, are doing their work with a smile and blessing you as you do that. And people who work along the highway in convenience stores, they're helping give us goods and services, the gas we need, the food we need to get to the next stop, especially the fast food because you need a lot of fast food when you travel. The government gives us freedom to move about. Law enforcement keeps it safe. The sanitation workers who work on the rest stops keep those places clean for us. Um, when I did this 12 years, ago, 12 years ago, somebody came up to me afterwards and they said, my mother is the secretary in the local highway department and I want you to know that place doesn't run without her. Okay, It's all work and it's all gardening and it's all necessary, all of it. Um, 
And it's not just my nine-to-five job. This is true for all work, like the garden. That was not my nine-to-five job. It's true for stay-at-home moms. If you're retired, you're still doing work of some kind. It's true for students, all of it. Um, Let me give you a very relevant example. This Thursday is Thanksgiving. And some of us are going to have family and friends over to our house on Thanksgiving, right? And we're going to have a great time. We're going to make turkey and stuffing and cranberry sauce and hot rolls and mashed potatoes and gravy and multiple pecan pies because I need multiple pecan pies to make it through the weekend. By the way, for the, the Pinterest, if you make a pecan pie automatically, you just get my first vote. I just want you to know. Um, and that's all going to be done on Thursday, right? But what's going to happen Monday to Wednesday of this week? I know, because I've been in some of your homes. I've been in my own home. It's going to be taking chaos and creating order, right? You're going to, because Aunt, Aunt Matilda and Uncle Joe are going to come over, and you do not want them to see what your house normally looks like, right? So you're going to take the raw materials of a dust pop and a dust mop and a pail and a broom and a soap and a dish rag and the vacuum, and you're going you're gonna to take existing things, and you're going to create and rearrange and make a new beauty your house hasn't seen in six months, right? All of that for the flourishing of Thursday morning that everybody can sit there and without worrying about how your house looks, that they can enjoy good food, good conversation, a good football game, and a really long nap, right? Do you see that everything we do is essentially gardening? All of it's gardening. So the purpose of my work is to make God famous. Let me get, it's probably here. The purpose of my work is to make God famous by using my creative energy to be part of the ongoing care and development of God's good creation. Specifically, I do this by bringing order out of chaos. Using my God-given gifts, I work with the stuff of, this cre- of his creation, taking its raw materials, reordering them in order to create beauty or products or services for the purpose of human flourishing as well as the flourishing of the whole creation. We are all gardeners. We're all gardeners. So let me hit application really quick. I really want to challenge you to take time to think through this with your work, whatever your work is. In what ways does your work, does it bring order out of chaos? Think about that. In what area of life am I bringing, creating order out of chaos? Secondly, what are the raw materials I work with? What are the things I use and reorder and put together to help bring order to whatever I'm doing? Um, and how is it that you reorder them to create something of value? What's that involved for you? And then finally, what are the ways in which my work helps people to thrive and prosper? And I think if you think through those questions, that you'll come out feeling like, what I do is actually pretty amazing because I'm a gardener. God was a gardener. The first man and woman were a gardener. I'm doing the same kind of work of taking, bringing order to chaos, rearranging the materials of creation so that people can flourish and thrive. And then I just want to challenge you, take this vision of gardening into your work. When you show up at work tomorrow morning, what I want you to do when you walk into the door, or if, you're, if it's, you wake up and you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a student going to class, that the first thing you do is you step into that area and you say this, I am a gardener. Not out loud, okay? They'll think you're weird if you do that. But that you go in and you say, I'm a gardener. I'm a farmer, essentially. I'm doing the same work that God did. And I want you to apply it to that. Um, One thing I didn't say first service, I want to say right now, all of us in some point in our life have found us in a temporary workplace that wasn't where we wanted to be or what we wanted to do. And it can get really frustrating and you can feel like you're wasting your time, right? Low pay, not doing what I want to do. 
if you will apply this to that kind of work even, like you're a student but you're making money working at Casey's or something, if you'll show up at Casey's and you'll say, I'm, what I'm doing here is important. I'm a gardener. This morning when I work with customers, I'm bringing order out of chaos. I'm using things that God's created and I'm gonna, I, when people leave, I want them to flourish. I think we can apply that to all of our lives. So, 12, no matter what you do, whether it's a nine to five job, I just, I wanna encourage you to see it all as gardening. Not Olive Garden, that's what that sounded like to me when it came out. It sounds like Olive Garden. It's all gardening. God was a gardener. The first man and woman were gardeners. We're all gardeners, all of us. And God does not ask us to do anything fundamentally different than anything he did or anything they did. So it doesn't matter what you do. You're taking things God created that he loves and you're bringing order out of it so people can thrive and flourish. So 12, just to remind you, all work truly is God's work. It's all his work. It's all gardening. It's all crucial. All of it. All of it is crucial. All of it. Would you stand with me? I'd like to close with prayer. It's really cool. I was doing a devotional this week, and this was the prayer in it. And I'm like, like, how did God know this was my topic this week? So if you would pray this with me. <clears throat> our Father and our Creator, thank you that you are still involved in our world. You are still busy bringing light into the darkness, order into the chaos, making all things new. Lord, as I engage in my work this week, may the world be a little more ordered, a little better and brighter, because you and I were in it together. And can we pray that in Jesus' name and say amen, amen to that? So let, let that be our prayer, and let us leave here. Twelfth, you are sent this week to garden, okay, wherever you are. So take that image with you, and let it bring meaning to your work. So twelfth, you are sent.